sometimes the wellness industry can be known for its sort of like exclusive or exclusionary language and imagery and, you know, styling and branding. And so we really wanted something that would be welcoming to everyone. And in fact, one of our taglines now is welcome everyone. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Shopify Masters, the podcast powered by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Schwang Estershan. Earlier this week, we chatted with Trey Lockerbie. He's the co-founder and CEO of Better Booch and looks after the financial and operational side of the business. Make sure to check out that episode if you missed it. So today we are giving you a behind the scenes look at the company's branding and marketing strategies with Ashley Lockerbie. She's the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Better Booch the kombucha company making light-hearted fermented drinks designed to improve your day and immune system. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. We're so excited to have you. We love the way that you've looked after the branding aspect of Better Booch. So tell us, when you were first approaching the naming and the branding, where did you start? What was the brainstorming process like? Oh, gosh. Well... This is 10 years ago now, Um, but honestly, the name sort of came to us without too much delay. So we had been making kombucha at home and we were calling it booch um, as a slang. And that was kind of like, I I don't know where we picked that up. Maybe we saw it at a store or something uh, when we were traveling around the country, but it wasn't a very widely used term. And so we just really liked that. And we liked that it was B-O-O-C-H instead of B-U-C-H, like the middle of the word kombucha. And so um, we sort of liked the the shortness of it, the like compactness of the word, the the double letter in the middle. Um, And so we just started calling it booch. And we also liked because we were sort of drinking it in place of an alcoholic beverage, even that early on. So it was like not beer, but it was booch. And so it was sort of like also on draft. So we liked the the similarity to the word beer as well. So when we were brewing it and we were testing out different uh, teas that we were using for the, the brew, which is an alternative to the traditional recipe that's you can like Google online um, for kombucha. The recipe online typically uses black or green tea to ferment. And so we were using all kinds of different teas, playing around with higher and lower caffeine content, everything from herbal to an oolong or a green tea with really high caffeine content. So what we discovered is that it was tasting really yummy. It was tasting delicious um, with the different teas and herbs that we were utilizing in the fermentation process. So we're like, oh man, this, this is so much better than what we can find in stores at, you know, right now. So why don't we just call it Better Booch? <laughs> and that's just what stuck. And what's really funny is that we you know, made a big sign and we started at farmer's markets and we would always, we knew we had the right name because at farmer's markets, people would walk by, they would like kind of squint their eyes and mouth the word to themselves, better booch. And and we were like, okay, great. This is, this is the right thing. It's, it's inviting, uh, you know, question and discovery and opening the, the door for discovery. So yeah, that's how we landed on better booch. I also love the alliteration, the two B's back to back. And when we're looking at the brand, it's fun, it's fresh, but there's also almost a timeless classic element to that. So how did you go about 
picking out those ethos of how you wanted your branding to feel. Mm-hmm. So our current iteration of branding is about the third version, I think, that has been out in the world. When we very first started, um, we got an artist friend of ours to design the logo, and it was beautiful, but very artisanal looking, very indie <laughs> looking, I should say, um, which was fitting for us at the time because we were you know, creatives and musicians and coming from this world, So, and it felt right for that time. But when we were going into more stores and we were sort of moving away from the farmer's market, we wanted something that was sort of the antithesis visually to what was pretty prominent in the kombucha space at the time, um, which is kind of like new age symbolism and flower of life type of, and like holier than thou, sort of like halo effect imagery. And so we went for something that was really clean and premium looking and what we came up with, I think, really matched what was on the inside of the can. You know, because on the inside of the can, we are using premium loose leaf teas. We know that most other brands aren't aren't doing that, and so uh, I feel like the branding that we landed on really spoke to that side of things. And I think it's a bridge between kind of exclusive health store drinks and also soft drinks, and it feels like it's different, but it doesn't feel really alienating as well. Thank you. Yes, we definitely wanted something that was inviting and approachable and that, again, would invite question and open the door for discovery because I think sometimes the wellness industry can be known for its sort of like exclusive or exclusionary language and imagery and you know styling and branding. And so we really wanted something that would be welcoming to everyone. And in fact, one of our taglines now is welcome everyone. And so you mentioned there were farmer's markets and local markets you attended to get the product out there and have people try it. What were some other marketing strategies in the early days um, trying to get more people drinking better booch? Well, we were on low to no budget. (laughs) So what we had at our disposal was social media, really, and events. So we showed up at a lot of events. We did every local, I think at one point we were doing 10 farmer's markets a week around Los Angeles. And we were doing other artisanal, like special holiday markets. Like there's a one called Artisanal LA. There's one called Echo Park Craft Fair. And um, so these types of things that were seasonal and had a lot of social visibility. And, and then of course our own social media channels. So we were really active on Instagram pretty, pretty early on and Twitter and Facebook. So um, those were the ways that we could get the word out basically. You know, I think it was really important for us, especially because at the time that we entered the market for kombucha, there was really an education curve that was happening. And so it was important to be able to to be in front of someone to be able to explain what it was and why they should drink it and why they should, you know, pay a little bit more for this brewed, not blended beverage. So one thing that we like to say about kombucha and better brewch in specifically, is that we're brewed and not blended. So this is a drink that's actually really hard to make. It's it's brewed similar to a beer or a wine. It's not just taking a bunch of ingredients and mixing them up and then putting it in a can. It's, um, it's a much longer process and more nuanced process than that. And so um, it's more special in that way. So 
at these different events and farmers markets, one important thing you mentioned is education and getting in front of different customers and telling them about how kombucha is made. What other aspects for new business owners within the food and beverage space should they take note of when they're prepping to be at a farmer's market or at an event? I like to have an iPad there with an email list sign up so that you can encourage people to either to, to give you their email address so that you can reach them again. And then you can also even have a field for inputting their zip code because then you can filter by zip code. If you have events going on, you can let those people who are local know. Um, that can be really powerful. And then also um, have a deal where if they follow you on Instagram and on Facebook or join your Facebook group or whatever it is, um, they would get a percentage off you know, at the market. So that way you encourage people to join your community on the spot, which is always a much um, easier sell than (laughs) reaching them online somewhere. And then on the flip side of social media, when you were building up the presence in the early days, what strategies or what kind of stories were you sharing that really engaged with the community? Well, then and now, our behind-the-scenes content always does really well. Telling the story of the brand, I mean, being... Especially early on, Trey and I were always there. Trey's my co-founder. Um, and we were always there at the events and speaking to customers directly and really allowing them to get to know us and getting to know them in turn. And this kind of authenticity is just impossible to replicate or fake. you know. So I think um, people are really drawn to that. transparency too you know we've always been really upfront about the way that we do things and we have we hold brewery tours we do actually make it in-house unlike a lot of other brands you know beverage brands in general and a lot of food manufacturing actually in general is co-packed so something that we are really proud of is that we manufacture everything ourselves and so we open up our brewery to the public at certain times of year um, for tours and also community organization type of things. So we would do group hikes. We would like invite our community for a hike and then we provide kombucha afterwards and just anything that really lived up to the brand's values of um, community and education and, um, you know, being outside and, and living life away from a screen. I'm chatting with Ashley Lockerby, the co-founder and CMO of Better Booch. So switching gears, I wanted to ask about your experience with e-commerce, um, both before and the starting of building Better Booch's online store. E-commerce has been something that I've wanted to, to offer for a long time, direct to consumer. Um, we started as a retail brand. Well, we started as a farmer's market brand, really. <laughs> and then we moved into retail and then online just seemed like the natural progression of things. And the ability to, you know, ship the kombucha to regions where we weren't available locally was really attractive to me. So it was something that I really wanted to do um, to be able to reach other people because we would get messages and emails um, from folks in other states asking all the time when we were going to be able to, when we were going to be online. And so, so we bit the bullet and we did it. And it's been, it's been really great so far, you know, because at retail, you don't really know exactly who your customer is. You don't have their information. You don't know 
um, where else they shop. You don't know really anything about them, if they're from a family or if they're going home to their roommates or if they're a single person or whatever it is. So not that we really know that um, now, but um, we just have a lot more information on our on our customer base um, when they visit our website. And that enables us to tailor the process to better fit those people and um, and just, you know, listen to our community and give feedback and hear feedback and, um, you know, improve based on that feedback. So e-com has been really great in that regard. And looking at the data you do collect, have you been doing any profiling or more understanding of different demographics? And then would there be other exercises you do to retarget or communicate with the different customer profiles that you have identified? Yeah, so we definitely have enough visitors to our website monthly that we can create lookalike audiences that we target to with our ad sets. And of course, we retarget. We can do, you know, card abandonment emails and ads and things like that. So, so yeah, retention has gotten really awesome because we know so much more about who's coming to our site and um and we can reach them again, which is really cool. And another aspect that has really helped the business is starting subscriptions and identifying the customers who are actually liking to have their products replenished on an ongoing basis. So is there a different exercise you do to identify those customers or reach out to them in different ways to get them onto a subscription model? Well, we have an email flow that extols the benefits of subscribing. So we offer a discount to subscribers. We offer free shipping to subscribers. And we offer a a few other little hidden Easter egg value adds along the way. And that's really great. The the hidden Easter eggs are really great for retention. Um, Getting people into that subscription program, we have a flow for that and we try and keep like the portion of our business as subscriptions above 60% so that we can better predict demand that way. We can, our average order value has gone up. Our average lifetime value has gone way up because of the subscription model. So yeah, it's, um, it's definitely in our interest to try and get people to sign up for that subscription initially. And then um, we keep them by offering special add-ons and um, special things throughout their journey that um, encourages them to stay subscribed. Can you tell us about the before and after effects of subscriptions on your business in general? Yeah. So especially now in the direct-to-consumer game, it's obviously ad spend has become more expensive because of you know the iOS updates and because of the extra competition and all the dollars bidding on, you know, the same person or the same AdWords. Lifetime value is a really important metric. And with our subscription program, our lifetime value, like since adding subscriptions, our lifetime value has gone way up, like double digit percentages. So that has really helped us understand and be able to spend into acquiring a customer on the front side because we know that they're likely going to be a customer for a long time. And switching gears for just understanding the different chapters of Better Booch. So you mentioned this current version of Better Booch's branding is actually the third iteration. So when do you know is a right time for rebranding and what does that process look like? It's a little bit mysticism, I would say, and and feeling it out. Um, But it is also 
based on where we are as a business and where we want to be as a business. So when we rebranded to this current iteration, we were opening up a lot of new retail distribution. We wanted something that really would stand out on the shelf. So again, differentiate us from the rest of the pack that was on the shelf, be I, you know, draw the eye. And we wanted something that felt more premium and felt more commercially appealing. So and inviting. So if we knew it was the right time because it ma- it aligned with the rebrand, the idea of the rebrand really aligned with what our goals were for the brand at the time. So my process, I can only really speak to my process, which is um, I do a lot of research and I A, I look at what the other brands in the space are doing. Then I look at what brands that I really like that are not in the space doing. So I'll look at beauty. I'll look at, you know, clothing. I'll look at some food and beverage, but maybe like food and not not other beverage brands. Because again, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. Um, I think that kind of defeats the purpose of a rebrand, in my opinion. So, and then I also look to, I'm really interested in, art and design. And so I'll look at, um, you know, I'll get inspired by different artists and I'll go down a Pinterest rabbit hole and I'll (laughs) I'll research a bunch of artists work and pin that against, and then different graphic styles. And so I sort of, at the end of that process, I sort of have an idea of how I want it to feel. And then I take that and I, I also research a bunch of, um, design agencies and, I sort of look at their work and I see, are they innovative? You know, are they doing things that's, is there, does their work look like everybody else's or are they kind of, do they have fresh ideas, interesting ideas? Do they, do I believe that it's more than skin deep? Because I do think that branding, it's very easy to make something that looks really cool and fresh. It's not as easy to make something that looks cool and fresh and has soul and depth. Um, and a why behind it. And so I really like to work with agencies and, and branding folks who understand that like deeper meaning behind whatever, like that there's a why that I guess it's like not top down, it's bottom up. So we talk about the mission and the why first, and then we like talk about what we like visually. And then we like, then the brand kind of grows through there. So then after I find an agency, then the like real work begins. So I kind of do a lot of upfront work and then we go through the process with the agency, which sometimes can be a six to eight month process. I mean, the first time to get to get the current iteration, it was a long process, probably about eight months. Wow. When you do go out and select an agency, what kind of qualities are you looking for? Because you're entrusting your brand identity with someone else externally. Yeah. So qualities I'm looking for would be, do they, are they good storytellers? Can they come up with stories? things that are fresh, that don't look like everything else that's on the market. Um, I don't want to see a lot of trendy stuff personally, because I feel like if you put something out that's trendy, it's going to look dated in a year and a half. And half of that time might be spent developing (laughs) that that trendiness. So you might only have like six months um, on the shelf before it looks dated. So I really don't look at, I don't like to work with people who follow too many trends. I like to work with people who are good storytellers um, and just who I kind of generally vibe with too, because I think um, it's important to have a good working relationship. And 
you can make the best work. I mean, it's interesting. I, as I'm saying this, I'm reminded that, I mean, my background is in music and anytime I'm collaborating creatively with someone, you have to have a good rapport with them and you have to feel comfortable communicating honestly with them because that's how the best work gets made. You know, if, if, if there's too many egos in the room on either side, it just doesn't work. Throughout this whole rebranding process, have you ever felt a bit cautious of how much you deviate away from the old branding because you also still want the existing customers to, I guess, have a sense of familiarity? So how do you balance like the new rebranding with still connecting with existing customers? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I think it depends on where you are in your business. So I would say if you have a smaller footprint, like if you're a younger business and you're really just starting out, don't worry too much about your current customers because you're about to go out and get a lot more. And of course your current customers, that's not to say don't forget about your current customers, but generally speaking, if they've sought you out and they are an early adopter, they're probably really into your brand. And so they're going to know what you're up to. Um, and they're going to be aware if you change your branding and then you have an opportunity. So I wouldn't worry too much if you're a younger brand, um, with not too much of a footprint about customer confusion. Um, at this point now approaching, if we were to approach a rebrand, um, I would be a little more concerned with, with that question, you know, how are we going to bridge the gap between the two? And I think, um, it would be a delicate and <laughs> nuanced process to walk, uh, like a line to walk, right? Because it needs to be familiar, but also feel fresh. So I haven't done a rebrand at this level yet. So I can't really answer that with with quite um, uh, the confidence of experience that I have with the other one. But um, I think it would be, I think it's one of those things that, again, is a little bit of mysticism, <laughs> you know, and like feeling it out. But I think through the design process, that's so iterative that I am confident we would come up with something great. So excited to hear more, Ashley. We are chatting with Ashley Lockerbie, the chief marketing officer and co-founder of Better Booch. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Follow and subscribe to our show wherever you listen and leave us a review or comment with your feedback. Earlier, we mentioned the early days of Better Booch. It was a lot of farmer's markets, and also social media. Can you tell us what else was in your early days marketing stack and what kind of different channels are you investing in now? So I also wanted to mention that early days we were doing a lot of in-store demos. I think that in-store demos are, if you're a retail brand, one of the most effective things you can possibly do to move product off the shelf and introduce your brand to people with shopping intent. If you think about e-commerce and how to find an audience with intent to buy, right? That costs a lot of money online. If you do an in-store demo, you're standing in front of the set where your product is. And if someone's walking to that area, you know they're already either a customer of some other beverage brand or they have intent to buy or discover a new brand. So it's very easy. You're talking directly to your your like target audience when you're in the store doing a demo. Um, so I cannot say enough about in-store demos. I think they're a really great strategy. I'm still doing them today, you know, strategically. 
And I think they're really important and underappreciated and overlooked. <laughs> and I have missed being able to do them the last couple of years with the pandemic. So I'm excited to deploy that as part of our strategy for next year. Other strategies would be, of course, ads online, larger scale events. So we just came, we're just coming off of a really fun activation that we did with Desert Days Music Festival in Palm Desert. And it was an amazing festival, Tame Impala headline, which is one of Trey's and my favorite bands. And a lot of other really great artists played. And we, it's a primarily a camping festival. So we did like a morning sound bath with kombucha for the campers. It was like 60% or 70% of the, the whole festival camps. So that was pretty cool. And we were able to take our, we have these kombucha like tricycles with <laughs> branded coolers on the back that we rode all around the festival and handed out booch too. So things like that, where we can really like have an invasive presence at an event and make sure that we touch pretty much everybody that's there is a fun thing for that I really enjoy doing. And I think it's really effective by creating that emotional brand experience. Cause then you're like, you're, you're meeting a customer when they are having a peak experience. And if they can associate a peak experience with your brand, you're doing something right in my opinion. So definitely excited to do more of that next year. What's kind of funny is that I think those same community building tactics that we utilized as a very young brand are, are are still valid today. And just because we're bigger, we have a better budget with which to <laughs> deploy. So we're able to do these activations in other regions besides where we actually live because now we have a bigger budget and we can hire other people to, to help us um, get them off the ground. So I really think that 2023 for Better Booch is going to be all about getting out there and meeting customers where they are um, and sort of facilitating um, a really great experience IRL. Has there been unique challenges of being a beverage and selling online that other people like don't kind of know about? Oh yeah. I mean, it's really tough to be a beverage and selling online. I think most, most beverage owners will agree with me when I say that, um, especially for us being a cold shipped beverage. So we're alive in raw kombucha, so it does have to be refrigerated. So we ship with ice packs and, um, and fully recyclable insulated packaging. So it's a big box that comes <laughs> and, um, and yes, it's very expensive to ship. So we have, we wouldn't be able to do it without a really great um, third-party logistics company that we work with who has a warehouse out of Indiana, I think it is. And so they're able to utilize lower shipping rates. You know, we're able to reach the East Coast and some locations that are much farther from our home base in LA. Um at a lower shipping cost than if it would be, you know, if we would be shipping from Los Angeles to say Miami, Florida, it'd be probably like $65 or something. So that's not sustainable because it only costs 34 online. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we wouldn't be able to do it without our really great 3PL partner. So speaking of different partners for your business, um, Trey is actually your life and business partner. So what advice do you have for people going into business with family, friends, or a life partner? What you want out of the partnership. So again, this is kind of like 
general relationship advice, I feel like, but also um, business partnerships. It's the same thing, whether you're married or you're not married, um, or it's a friend or a family member. Um, Honesty and clear communication is the most important thing, hands down. Um, And then second, I think would be clearly defined roles. So Trey and I, you know, when we first started, we were we were newbies at the entrepreneurship thing. And um, we were both sort of like playing whack-a-mole and just trying to like sort of both do everything. And once we clearly defined our roles and we were like, okay, you handle this, I'm going to handle this. Um, and then we trusted each other to handle those things. And that was a really successful strategy for us. And then Nowadays, we have two young kids at home, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. So life is very full and we could very easily be talking about work until (laughs) the wee hours of the morning. So we have a hard and fast rule that after seven o'clock when the kids go down, we don't talk about work anymore. And that has been really, really great. Like drawing a clear boundary between um, when we discuss things that are work-related and when we don't. It's really cool to see all the different growth and different chapters of Better Booch. Are there any new product lines or news that you can share with us about Better Booch? So we are newly available in Pavilions Markets, which is an Albertson Safeway banner um, that is uh, in Southern California. So we're really excited about that one. And um, we have been expanding across the Midwest. We're going to be in Fresh Time which is about has about 70 stores in the Midwest and Martins, which is a really great store um, chain in the Michigan area. And um, yeah, we're just adding a lot of distribution points nationally, which is really exciting for me because we've really only been focused on sort of the West Coast up until I'd say early this year. So we're also adding a lot of distribution points in New York and across the Atlantic seaboard and down through Florida. So we're available in all 50 states, which is great. And then we do have a little, a new product line coming out early next year, which I'm really, really excited about. Can't say what it is yet, but um, look out for that. Amazing. Well, we have to keep our eyes peeled on Better Booch. Thank you so much for being here, Ashley. Thank you so much. This is a great conversation. That's Ashley Lockerbie from Better Booch. I'm Schwang Esser Shan, and I'll catch you next time on Shopify Masters.